You're listening to the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Let's talk about. Hey people, how you doing? Welcome. Did you like the countdown? I'm so excited about um, the guest tonight and the topic that I decided I'm going to put a little countdown there. There's already a few people watching on YouTube, which is fantastic. Um, so welcome, episode 65 of the Sports Therapy Association podcast. Uh, my name is Matt Phillips, um, and um, I'm going to be talking to Paul Coker tonight all about balance for runners, which I'm very excited about. Uh, we had Paul on the show in episode nine, which was about a year ago, talking about adjuncts. Do we need them? Um, a topic which made me fall in love with Paul because he did it at my One Check Live conference and it was just brilliant. And and although we're talking about balance tonight and the sense of balance for runners, for me, he is Mr. Balance in the ideas of let's not chuck all the babies out with all the pram and all bath water and all that, because it's great. I love his view since I've known him as medical director in Rock Tape and the famous debate he had with Paul, the other Paul. Um, about um, kinesiology tape, which was brilliant on the Physiomatist podcast. Um, and yeah, and, and I love everything he does. So very excited to bring him to you. Um, if you're listening to the podcast, then um, this is recorded live. Um, and I enjoy recording it live because I believe we need to put a bit more live interaction into life. It's all got very recorded, isn't it? We don't watch live TV anymore. And we all just record it and fast forward it. And there's nothing kind of spontaneous anymore. So I do urge you, if you are um, in the right time zone, to join us at 8 o'clock BST. British standard time, British summertime at the moment. And then you can interact with the other people in the room. You can leave comments. You can ask the guests, put them on the hotspot straight away. There's no running away on this show. If you ask a question, the guest is going to show on their face, which if you watch the video and their reaction to that question. So I do like you to try and join us live if you can. But if you can't, then obviously I appreciate um, you uh, listening to the podcast and do make sure you leave a review, particularly on Apple Podcasts. So if you do join us live, either by coming to Sports Therapy Association Facebook page or via YouTube, then you can leave your comments on the screen and I can bring them up. If you're watching the video now, you can see Catherine Reimer is here. Hey, Catherine, how are you doing? Julia Hartley has joined us. Hello, how are you? Brian Huxley. All the people are coming in the room now. A lot of the regulars are coming in. Great to see you all back. And obviously, if you're joining via YouTube as well, if you don't want to come into the Sports Derby Association Facebook page, join us on YouTube in the secrecy of your own lounge and you can still come in and say hello to us. Gary is here as well. Hey, Gary, how are you doing? Founder of the STA. Sarah Jones is here and the list goes on and on. So it's lovely to see people coming in. Um, and before we bring up the guest who's waiting patiently in the lobby, then what I'm going to do is just say a huge thank you uh, to last week's guest, Dr. Gary Mendoza, who's had me thinking for the whole week and quoting and sharing stuff that he puts out there. Um, if you missed it, it's obviously available as a podcast. It's available as a video on the Sports Therapy Association uh, webpage, which is thesta.co.uk. You can find it there and obviously you can find it on YouTube as well. Um, and if you want to listen to the audio, then it's available on good podcast players. And Dr. Gary Mendoza was talking about motivational interviewing, which after a uh, one of my post-run chats um, the other day, I, I'm still not sure whether motivational interviewing really tells you what it's about. It sounds like you're interviewing someone for a job and you're trying, I don't know, big someone up or something, but it's not really that at all. The name doesn't do it for me, but what it's about really does. And it is all about um, using the right listening and speaking skills to a behavior change in your client's so it really is recognizing what stage the client is in in being able to change their behavior and then identifying the stage and then using the appropriate language and looking for the right kind of 
keys in their language to to help them through that behavior um and it was fascinating it was really good and it's something i really believe it's exactly the kind of cpd which personally i like to promote um because you can do as many manual therapy skills as you like and you might enjoy them they might give you other ideas of how to touch people but it's what's coming out of the mouth and what's being processed in here, which I think really makes the therapist. So do check it out, Dr. Gary Mendoza, and follow him on Instagram because some of the memes and, and the posters and things he puts out there are fantastic. My favorite quote probably of this year so far has been, some people need a good listening to. Isn't that just so simple and so beautiful? There's so much in that. I don't think it was his, but it was from the um, inventors or founders of motivational interviewing. It kind of sums it up. Some people read them. Good listening to. I think that's amazing. So anyway, um, that is available, um, like I say, on podcast players and YouTube. Also, before we go to Paul Coker tonight, and I just want to highlight as well, because we've had some amazing guests on. I hate to think that a week goes by and, and the episode just disappears. Dr. Amy M. Bender, who's continuing to send out some fantastic stuff um, across social media, was in here for episode 63 two weeks ago talking about everything about sleep. Um, she is director of clinical sleep science at Cerebra Health. And it was, again, a fantastic hour, which I listened back to again because I've got my own sleep issues going on and I've never really solved them. Um, but, yeah, it's all about um, how to understand uh, what your client could be going through with regards to sleep, sleep disorders. Um, there's also a fantastic link to an athlete screening questionnaire, which is available at centerforsleep.com. You can find that in the show notes and on the sta.pro.uk web page. Um, and um, Dr. Amy Bender can be seen at Sleep for Sport. Four is a number. So at Sleep for Sport um, across social media. Well worth following as well, as is Dr. Gary Mendoza. Anyway, right, that was enough. I just want to make sure I mention those guests because we have amazing guests on the Sports Therapy Association podcast. And tonight is no exception, which was a great segue. He, I'm pleased to say he's one of the people who you have asked to come back on the show. It only took us a year to get him back. But he's a busy man and he's down in Cornwall. So it takes a while for the Internet to get here. So we've finally got it working and uh, we're going to bring him back. A lot of you will know him as the former medical director of Rock Tape UK. That's how I met him because I was because of him. I was a firm supporter and still am of Rock Tape because it, they just through him i believe and he might tell me otherwise but i found that the messages being put out with that particular brand of kinesiology tape were just more healthy and they were looking at the research and they weren't kind of for example they didn't get sued or taken to court for, for unfounded as far as i know like other brands did um, and i think it I might be wrong, but I think I, I put him on the pedestal as the reason for that in the UK. Um, but now he's doing his own thing um, very much down in Cornwall. Uh, and you would have seen um, the adverts I put out there. It, again, ticks all my boxes. It's movement. It's play. It's getting people uh, functionally moving. I don't use that word anymore. And a big component of that is balance is what we're going to talk about tonight. Right. That's it. So without further ado, I think welcome everybody who's joined us. Um, we will bring up Mr. Paul Coker. Hey, Paul, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. It really does look like you're sitting in a jungle there. But um, I mean, you are sitting in a jungle there. Why would I ruin that illusion? Yeah. How are you doing? Good to see you, mate. Yeah, it's to trigger people's brains into a more alert state, right? That's what there nature does. Before he started, exactly. Um, it good is to see you. not on the computer. It's just a curtain that goes over <laughs> low-tech solutions. I wasn't going to say that. I was going to let people think that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, harbour the disbelief. Wow, that's really cool good to see you mate thanks for coming back so it's been a year no it's fine uh it doesn't seem that long um you I, really I, were people were seeking you to come back uh, when we did episode nine because you kind of mentioned what we're going to do today back and then you were talking about adjuncts and it was like 
what I associate you with and still very relevant today. People are still harping on black and white. Yes and no. And it's just a bit of a mess out there, isn't it? On social media, Yeah, right. which is why you probably say it's, you, I tend to believe you stay a little bit away from social media, don't you? Is that fair to say? Compared um, to yeah, I kind of hibernated after Optic, to be fair, um, which is just, you know, a process of um, kind of just collection. And, you know, um, I've gone quiet to the world, but um, um, and I used to be quiet where I live and now I'm big where I live and quiet to the world. So, yeah, during COVID, we've kind of um, expanded the, the, the clinic um, to a new location. And um, um, that's been a terrifying and time consuming process. So, yeah, and um, putting things on Instagram comes comes low on the list when there's a bill to pay. Right? I, I well yeah it does make me think I'm sticking to it but um yes you know I'm I'm always happy to talk to you man that's fantastic that's nice to know the website's looking great if people want to find you and what you do it's very much I mean there's no online courses or anything there it's all about getting people to the center and moving and playing and and well we'll talk about that later on it's very different from a lot of other things I see let's just put a little flash on there so people can see that if you're listening to the podcast we're looking at just a screenshot from um movecornwallphysio.co.uk um, and everything about the website i mean for therapists i think it's a good idea to have a look at the website just to get ideas on on you know what you're trying to achieve does your website show you know what you do because your website paul definitely does um it's great and there's loads of interesting information on there for people to have a little look through so work in progress like everything <laughs> tonight then balance mm. um I love this because I haven't got any questions here to ask you. I haven't, I haven't organized anything. Often with people, I'm having to look up there and get loads of questions. I make for you. Um, I'm just, I've been looking forward to all week and thinking about it. So we're, we're probably going to stick to balance to runners, although we might dip into just balance for everyday people. Well, this but, is um, everything we say about runners applies to everyone, but like, um, yeah, in, runners are an interesting subgroup when it comes to balance. Okay. So where should we start? Um, yeah. Well, what is balance? I mean, that's, always kind of good right like we think we know but um so fundamentally um, do you know the root of the word balance only because i looked at um some of your yeah. work but i'm gonna say now right so it's two um two dishes so it's a set of scales so it literally means um to balance um, and 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 the word defines that um so like in a biological sense it's um, um our ability to stand upright and maintain an upright posture during locomotion standing um, and running and walking and um, kind of that kind of stuff and we kind of have a basic understanding of how that works but I think a lot of people have a, a sort of scratchy vague understanding that it's got something to do with something deep inside your skull next to your ear um, and maybe your ankle's important and um, and and we run out quick um, and I think one of the reasons that balance is um, well, ignored basically is because it doesn't actually present as the issue very often when there's therapy to be done in that regard for a runner. So I guess what might be useful is to think about what a runner with poor balance might look and sound like for people to self-recognize <laughs> and for therapists to be able to recognize those kind of people coming through the door. That's interesting. So, okay, so are you saying that this is somebody who might not come in pain? Well, very often what these people will present with, if we're looking at like within running, there is a subgroup of people who hurt when they run because their balance isn't up to the task that they're doing. And 
within running injuries, there's a few hallmarks that really kind of make people stand out as having a balance issue, right? So pain-wise, unilateral symptoms. So people who get all their stuff on one side. So it's the, the old, this, I wish I had two of these, right? They've got one great leg and they've got one leg that gives them pain a lot. Within that unilateral split, a real good clue, and it was interesting you talk about um, motivational interviewing because it's the worst term you're right. Like, but it, it's absolutely everything that therapists do is kind of make people understand um, um, what they want to do and, 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 and channeling those things. And what a lot of people will tell you is this leg is the problem, as in it hurts all the time. But when I train, it's the strong leg. Right. So real big clue, because if you if you've got somebody who's got, say, like a primary Achilles tendonopathy, we know that one of the driving factors for that is that the muscle unit attached to the tendon is not strong enough to do its job. Right. And so they are weak on that side. And so they hurt there and they're weak there. Right. We can think of that as like a biomechanical overload under preparation kind of problem. And then you'll also get a group of people and they're often not new runners and they're often runners who aren't committing some of the typical fouls we associate with overuse injuries like spiking mileage, radical changes in training protocols that just get sore. So they're often people who are recurrently tweaky around the kind of classic runner's injuries of Achilles tendinopathy, anterior and lateral knee pain, recurrent calf strains. And within history, um, for balance, any sprained ankle. Like we should be assessing the heck out of balance on anybody who remembers a significant ankle sprain. And we can kind of dive into the reasons for that a little bit as we go. But that's one of the big ones we're looking for is any history of fracture or significant sprain event of the ankle or a recurrent ankle inversion injury. We can basically assume they have a unilateral balance loss on that side because it sort of feeds in a circle. Um, and then, um, so pain-wise, you're looking at down the same side of the body. They'll often have spinal t tightness and pain, but it's often like usually non-radiating. So if we're looking for those people where their spinal tone is the driving problem as an adaptation around a balance issue, they'll often say they've got back pain. And they do. They've got pain in their neck, pain in their mid-back, pain in their lower back, wherever. But what it is, is quite kind of vertically aligned because essentially it's the paraspinal muscle that's giving them jip rather than a facet, disc, nerve root. So non-radiating pain, um, and again, almost always unilateral when we're looking at a, a balance. Questions? <laughs> I've got one. I, I like the way you mentioned, because I think everybody, therapists in particular, and runners, if runners are listening as well, and make sure people, you do leave comments. If something strikes a kind of note and a chord, and oh, that's happened to me. But yeah, I definitely have seen a lot of clients who um, have that, this leg is being dragged behind. This leg is just not working properly. It's, and it happens a lot. And, you, and and I find myself saying, well, have we done a strength test? And sometimes no one's done a strength test on them, which annoys me. But then I might do a strength test with them. And like you say, it's either the same or even it's stronger. And mm. you're kind of at a bit of a loss because you're like, oh, damn, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say it's feeling like the passenger because it's not as strong, but their hip flexion, their extensions is, is actually stronger than the other legs. So you're saying in that case, then it's worth checking. It could be a balance issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Um, and 
um, you know, a strength's a difficult one for runners because, you know, you really want to know what their strength's like after an hour of good running rather than what it's like fresh in the, in the clinic as you sit there. So we definitely entertain the possibility that we could be missing that. And, like, you know, all these things go round and round. Strength training's a really good idea to improve balance. Like, there's loads of evidence that kind of heavy mm-hmm. lifting, particularly single leg heavy lifting, like, is one of the quickest ways to improve somebody's balance. So maybe you can go wrong getting strong, but not um, – um, ah. is oh, don't. I think there's proof. Um, <laughs> I didn't say that. I let it that out. Hold on. Yeah. Why is it unilateral? Why is it unilateral? Um, so um, um, anyway, uh, um, um, it, it, maybe it's vestibular hypermarty. Um, um, we'll never know. Non, non, non-pain related problems that runners will see, right? So like, this is obvious, but like people who fall over when they go running and you yeah. do meet. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, I know elite. Regular uh, base. Yeah. So ask for that. When you run, do you fall over? Mm. What terrain do you run on? And why do you choose that terrain? A lot of runners will self-convex. I don't like single track, right? Like if it's narrow and there's stuff in the way, I get nervous. It flusters me and I don't enjoy the run. So I stick to the road. And then the very, very balance impaired will prefer a treadmill because let's face it. And I think this is a point we can universally agree on. Everyone who prefers a treadmill has something wrong with them, right? Like it's a horrible place to go for a run in all regards. And so when somebody genuinely prefers it, there's something driving that. And a, and a, and a real good balance problem will get people who kind of find that niche where they can get the cardiovascular exercise, that whole body thing that's going on with running. But it's not quite so terrifying to the vestibular system. To those with normal visual and vestibular, the whole thing's confusing because you're going nowhere and that goes against 2.4 billion years of evolution and um, 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 innate knowledge in your nervous system that locomotion should take us somewhere. And so when nothing goes anywhere. And so people who tighten up on the treadmill and really don't like running on the treadmill just don't run on treadmills. But that might well be wise because it doesn't make sense because there's no visual flow to go with the action that's going on in your legs. Anyway, I digress. No, that's fine. That's going to be the soundbite for this episode. Keep going. This is great. People, yeah, so people who stick to road, don't like the trail, like people who stay in in the wet, won't go out in the dark. So low light, low grip conditions, like making people kind of feel dodgy about going running or reporting more pain when they run in those conditions. So I'm in Cornwall, we've got the coast path, right? And we get east-west issues where if somebody has a problem on the right side of their head, when that side's near the cliff, they tend to be tweakier because your brain knows that you really need to tighten up and not fall over right now. And uh, a lot of muscle tone that we develop that's wrong, as it were, a suboptimal, is to compensate for the loss of vestibular or visual function. But all of those things do that, right? So w- whenever we're talking about and people who were suspicious of this, but we're not going to see a lot of crossing over. We're not going to see one ankle, one knee, one hip. We're going to see things tend to stick to the same side of the body. And then um, per balance, we'll often um, bring on um, upper trap tightness. So runners who go tight on one side of their neck when they're running, strongly suspicious there's a balance problem on that side, right? So Because this shouldn't be hard enough to induce shoulder pain, right? Our arms have got an easy job. So if our neck gets tight when we're running, then we're suspicious that side might be dodgy. Um, uh, um, and then um, in terms of the, the likes and the dislikes, so people who really don't like running downhill, because um, that's quite a big challenge from a balance point of view. And 
as it were, the survival stakes go up a little compared to running on the flat, right? Because you're traveling faster and the consequences of trip of tripping are higher. And so if our brain's main job is to make us survive, people with dodgy balance and vision should slow down going downhill because anything else would be reckless. And so they do, but they can't quite work out why they're so rubbish at downhill running. So a subjective report of I'm pants downhill. Um, and then experienced runners who were maddeningly slow, right? I think most therapists will know some people like this. They're usually attracted to ultra running because we all go slow in ultras, but like they literally can't break a 10 minute mile. Like, and they've been running for a long time. They're an experienced runners. They do things right, but they're just very slow. Like they're processing things slowly, suboptimally, and that leads to kind of an upper limit in the kind of pace that they can create. So I think there are some kind of useful things to lay down because it's all in the subjective. And then, I mean, it might go without saying, but let's say it anyway, people who report problems related to the inner ear, right? So people who have had vertigo and dizziness episodes, um, um, and but also some things associated with like migraines and visual disturbance will often be as a result of the vestibular system. And then any recurrent issue around the ear, like ear infections, intermittent hearing loss, tinnitus, all those things that associate because when we come to neurology, we really worry about, we care about where things plug in and what they plug in next to. And although they're separate, they're, our outer and our inner ear are, are very kind of um, um, closely related. Um, uh, um, and so, um, let, yeah, looking at, at any history of problems there. That said, don't assume it. People can have um, be completely deaf in one ear and have completely normal vestibular function on that side. So we can't imply anything from hearing loss per se, but kind of issues around the ear, particularly um, um, things that are kind of like, um, yeah, kind of vestibular attacks, motion sickness, can't read in a car, right? That's your vestibular system kind of leaking some kind of error uh, um, when your eyes are busy elsewhere. And I keep mentioning the vestibular system, so we should probably um, define that a little bit better. Can you ping up a slide? I can. If you've just joined us, hi, uh, Stephen, how are you doing? If you have joined us, don't forget to say hi on the screen, um, especially if you're coming from like the One Chat Life group, Facebook group, or you're watching on YouTube. You might, it might be your first time here in the STA um, Facebook page, so don't be afraid to come say hello. There's a few questions mounting up, which is great. I will come to them after we've had a little bit of vestibular um, uh system now um let's yeah. find that one and then we'll come we've got a really good point um, um how do we test this and it's it's super simple trust me um and but we will yeah we will we will cover all that we've just had by the way if you have just joined us there's i'll have to put these in the show notes there's at least seven or eight scenarios which suggest it's worth checking if there's a balance issue going on and they were all just brilliant um so make sure you look back at them i will make sure that each one is bullet pointed in the show notes right vestibular system uh would you like this one perfect i'll bring up on full screen people listening to the podcast obviously you can't see what's on the screen but paul will kind of describe it we're looking at an image of an ear that's been sliced and the front half's been taken off um on the um coronal plane um, so yeah going th- through the the ear to towards the skull so deep to your outer ear there is a tube going straight in um, 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 on, on horizontally and then you get to your eardrum and on the other side of your eardrum there is this really tiny little structure 
that is marked on that a semicircular canal and um, so you've got the little bit that looks like a snail and that's your cochlea and that's that's hearing and then you've got these three little loops and they are your semicircular canals and we have them and then we have our otolith organs and they put together essentially a gyroscope inside the uh, mammalian head um, and this system is basically the same um, everything from a jawed fish upwards. So you get down into hagfish and stuff before you find any real deviation from this basic pattern of it inside um, each ear. There are three semicircular canals that give us an X, Y, and Z axis of tilt. And then there are two linear sense organs, um, the saccule um, uh, uh, um, and the utricle, which um, process and sense um, forward and backwards and up and down motion, right? Um, and so we think like um, what allows you to play tilt games with a smartphone relies on similar kind of technology to what's inside your head. And because what's inside your head is your eyeballs, it's heavily integrated with your visual system. So essentially, your inner ear senses motion and then relays that information to your eye to fire muscles in the opposite direction so that as you move your head, you can keep your eyes on a target, right? So there's this real intricate relationship between the particularly the ocular motor function of the eyeball to move it rather than, um, can you see this? Is it blurry? What's better, red or green? So um, opticians test visual acuity, but they don't really look at kind of um, eye performance. And um, if there is issues around um, eyes actual mo movement, then it often interrelates to the inner ear. Um, and a lovely way that's described this, and I need to give educational credit here because I learned most of what I know about the vestibular system in detail from Z Health University. And, and, and they have this really nice saying, the vestibular system to us is like a little rudder on this big ship of movement. Because every movement is processing information from your vestibular system. It is the only organ in the body that constantly gives input to the central nervous system. So there's essentially it's on there and I can't read it. I might get my stat wrong. It's like two million signals per second um, between the two sides. Yeah, you did well. Excellent. And that would be two million on the left or two million on the right or one million from each side, which would indicate we're staying still. But there is this constant battery of information because we need to know where we are the whole time. We don't think about this enough, but balance is absolutely critical to our survival. Human beings die from falling over from standing height, right? We are a ridiculous creature. We have these tiny little feet, these long, long legs, and we've put our noggin right at the very, very top on this really unstable base. So falling over and having bad balance is not a trivial issue like a sore back or an achy tendon, because those things don't kill but falling over does. And so our brain will maintain postural balance even when that semicircular and um, 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 otolith system is not working right. And it can do that because of redundancy, right? So um, um, we um, sense movement through these systems, but they are always paired. So when I stimulate one side at the back, I'm inhibiting the other side at the front and vice versa. And so essentially we can break one side and stop listening to it and we don't fall over, but we need to use more muscular tone to compensate. And that's how this really gets into physio and, 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 and therapies that are treating 
pain is because if you do have compromise in this system, almost always the consequence is excess muscle tone to maintain upright posture because that's better than falling over and potentially dying. And, and, and then sore tendons and, and connective tissue when we're running because um, we're not timing the muscular contractions quite right. So we get those heavy footed landings and runners will tell you this. I go slap, um, I get sloppy on one side as I get tired. So the vestibular system in the inner ear is this gyroscope, and that links very closely to the ocular motor muscles of the eyeball, right? And the inner ear, just for interest, that those like it. If we go down one slide for me, Matt. Next slide, please. How about Jonathan? This one here? Right, yeah, that retro one that's too old mm -hmm. to be off for nicking it off the internet. <clears throat> Don't do that, people. Um, <laughs> Hair cells function as rate sensors. So this is zoomed in on, on that snail and the semicircular canal. So we've got those three canals that you can see, um, um, one standing upright blue and then the others are cut in half. What they are is actually bony tunnels with a membrane inside and then a viscous liquid inside that. And that viscous liquid moves when the head tilts in the corresponding direction. And then as that um, liquid um, sloshies inside it goes into the sense organ called the cupula where there are nerve fibers attached to hair cells and it's really cool right the hair cells stand up like a series um, of several cells um, with short ones medium ones and long ones in the direction of movement that they're traveling and it's like a series of gears that if the the short ones get blown over by small movements. That gives a small change in signaling. It either inhibits or excites the nerve underneath the hair. So it literally has this like lever system where we can tell how fast our head is moving based on the rate of impulse coming from this. So it's not binary on or off. It's actually giving us a, 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 a calibrated rate sensor. But the fluid moving isn't actually relative to the speed of head movement. So what's interesting is that we can train this, that little nerve ending, those spiky red things in the blue bit for those looking at the picture. And then within the um, um, otolith organ, we have basically like a trampoline, a weighty trampoline system with these crystals that bounce up and down and trigger the nerve endings in a similar way, but through kind of compression and traction. But these nerve endings are rate sensors. So they're kind of stuck inside our internal world. They have no, they, it doesn't matter if your fluid becomes slow as you get older because it thickens. That you, all you need to do is get the appropriate response from the eyeball and from the rest of the body. So the point is that our balance organ is incredibly trainable. We just don't. But it, it responds really well to being trained because fundamentally it's a rate sensor. So even if there is pathology in the system or aging related changes that we can't fix, we can one, improve the level of the signal. And then two, what's really important with vestibular is that, the, that we listen to both sides, that we are able to do things that trigger the system unilaterally. Because most people basically on their broken side, they're also going to demonstrate vestibular hypofunction. And that's going to lead to bad balance, bad landing mechanics and bad muscle tone around the spine. Right. So these sound like um, very confident statements, but like it's neuroscientific stuff. Like we, we, we there are certain known things right when they are unknown. So the vestibular to spinal um, cords like you, it's cool. You look it up in a book, they're yet to be found. We don't know exactly how these things connect.
But when, in patients with nystagmus, so when their eye twitches, one known test for it is to put a vibrating massage gun on the upper thoracic spine, and and like the eye, and you get patients who like massage on like vibration on their legs, but they don't like it on the top of their system because it's too much input to the side that's normally ignored by the brain. So when we flood it with input, then they feel weird. So. The vestibular system is incredible, right? Like it just isn't given the respect and why? Because it's so tiny, small, like literally the whole thing fits on a five pence piece. Like it's it's minute compared to your outer ear. It's like five times as small. And most people's function really normally and means that they rarely fall over or have any kind of balance issues. And when we get frank disturbance to this, it's obvious people develop postural hypo, um, like um, um, BPVB, so benign postural paramoxal, um, postural vertigo and they have vertigo attacks they have like these kind of acute episodes where there's a loss of balance and they're found kind of sitting in the corner of the room with two points of contact because it's the only thing that will make the world spin and if you ever talk to anyone who's had it it's one of the most distressing things that you could ever have it's not painful but it's a complete loss of self because like Mm. you can't move because you don't know where you are so you have nowhere to begin the movement and um, um, neurological activity because the brain always has to answer the question, where am I and am I, am I in motion? And we don't do that with our body. We do that with our head. OK, right. So much there. I could listen forever, but I, I'm conscious we got, which is lovely. We got some runners in the room who already and you know what runners are like. They're just kind of going, this is me. This is me. I know it's me. OK, you know? so, so so let's go yeah. for I suspect that the the test will become the exercise. But let's go to test to someone who's thinking this could be me. One down, please. <laughs> One down. The next slide. Yes, please. That's what that is. Yeah. So okay. Basically, this is like a chart that gives you some ways to go through balance. I told you I was going to stand up, Matt. So I'm going to stand up. Right. You ready? <laughs> I need to show you then, don't I? Oh, yeah. Right. Well, have a quick look at that. Right. So basically, on one side, we've got what we're doing with our legs and our feet. So just standing, then feet standing right next to each other and then one in front of the other. So like an inline stance and then on to single leg. So we can go down that. And then what we can do is test by adding um, distractors from the three systems, right? So we have the body's proprioceptive system, we have the vision, and we have this marvelous underrated vestibular system, right? So that's basically what's on that is then on the other side, you've got um, um, eyes open, um, gaze fixed, head still, and running right through to basically moving your head around with your eyes shut. So that's... And um, basically, we strip away sensory input. So if you put me up a second. Okay. Right. Let and me... I will talk as best I can. Yeah. Um, how much room do I get? So you'll have to choose between my face. And my... <laughs> right. That's the Lego table over here. So <laughs> room. I don't quite trust my clinic and, and internet. Right, so if I want to test somebody's balance, I actually start with this. And I have a plate that measures postural sway, right? Because everybody moves a bit when they stand like this. There's always a little bit of error in this system. Hi, Hamish, come and say hello. <laughs> it's Hamish. This is Hamish. Hey, Hamish. Hamish, it's after your bedtime. I know I'm not supposed Well, go and sleep in my bed. <laughs> Those of you listening to the podcast, that was Hamish. That's Hamish, my um, um, 
We should have brought him in. He's got terrible mouths. He's <laughs> <laughs> been sent to channel. Right. So standing like this, everybody's moving a little bit, right? So we can look at that and say, right, can we actually observe it? Because some people, as they stand with their feet together and just try and stay still, they will show a little list to one side, right? So we can start there and then we can add um, motion, right? So a lot of balance is about the head and the neck. So that's where people go wrong is they think they, that balance is stand on one leg and stare straight forward. And then all we do to make it harder is make the ground wobblier and softer, right? You're training something, but you're not training your balance organ because that's up here and you're doing everything you can to train yourself. So it's a form of reflex stabilization of the body, and that might be useful for some people. But if your balance is poor and that's your problem, and the way we know your balance is poor, I'm getting there, is by going through this kind of test series, which then breaks out into exercises. Right. So feet together, and then we're going to do head turn, right? So what happens when you turn your head over one shoulder versus when you turn your head over the other shoulder? And with feet together, all of these should be easy, right? And then we've looked over either shoulder and we've not thought too much about what our eyeballs are going to do, right? And this one is the moneymaker for therapists, right? Now it's keep your head still, move your eyes one way. So look to the left versus look to the right. And an awful lot of people who are trying this as they listen or watch along have just wobbled quite a lot based on nothing more than a movement of the eyeball. Right. And so very often as we go through the positions, this becomes more obvious. So we then got eyes shut so we can strip the visual system out completely. And then we can ask even more of the vestibular system by looking for head turn with eyes shut. And we'll do this all with head rotation, but we could also be looking at head extension, neck flexion or motion on the diagonal lines as well. Right. So feet together then we can go one foot in front of the other now generally from a balance point of view when we stand like this the back foot's working harder right so think this is going to stress me from a balance point of view more on my right hand side which is the one i like to demonstrate with because <laughs> it works and um, so i'm going to stand like that and then i'm going to repeat those things again i'm going to look over one shoulder with one foot in front of the other and then over the other shoulder and then I'm going to do eyeballs one way and I'm going to do eyeballs the other way. And anybody watching can see that gets a little response out of me. And then I can look at eyes closed, static, eyes closed, head movement, looking over either shoulder. And then from that position there, we can go to one leg. And when we get onto one leg, we want the same things again. Head turn side to side, eye movement on the same plane side to side. I'll pause for everyone listening along who's just had a little fall. Just single leg stand, eye side to side, right? And you can give them a target. They can hold their hands out and look at one thumb and then look at the other thumb. Or they can just glance from one side of the room to the other. But try and pick a target and really find it. And what a lot of people find is that moving their eyes side to side actually disturbs their balance much, much more than something like this, where you're moving your hand from side to side and doing a big mechanical load. We're quite competent. Where a lot of people are really surprised by their failures is in head motion, in eyeball motion, and in taking vision away entirely by shutting the eyes. And you can even go to one-sided eye test. So most people's balance exercises need to be where they break in that system, right? So where they fail along that way. And if you get all the way to the end, to standing on one leg, 
eyes shut, moving your head around, not just on a side-to-side plane, but on a um, north and south axis and then on diagonal lines as well, then you may have a balance cushion. Up until then, stand barefoot on a firm surface because you're the wobbly thing, not the earth. Brilliant. And so hopefully we start to make this really practical really quickly. And what you will notice is really consistent trends. So if I have left-sided, it's always freaks me out, the camera's the wrong way around. I want it to be a mirror and it's not. So anyway, um, this is my left side. <laughs> Sorry, my brain's having a small... It's challenging you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And if this is the side that hurts, right? So if I've got knee pain on this leg and it's this ankle that's been dodgy in the past and when I stand on that leg, I go all wobbly and I can't shut my eyes and not lose my balance. What you'll tend to find is it's eye motion to the same side and head motion to the same side. Because that just tends to be the way it goes. Not for everyone. You'll totally get people who break these rules. But generally, it's so it's nice and ipsilateral. It's the one bit of neurology that's not confusing, right? Because of all this left frontal cortex controls the right side of the body stuff, right? But this stuff just drops down one side. So if your pain report is like a stroke, if you can't stand on one leg and when you start moving through sensory and deprivation, things get wobbly very quickly. My suggestion is this is a really important part of training. But you are interested in different drivers from vision, vestibular, and mobility, because mobility is very important to balance. Every joint is a sensor. Every joint has a nerve ending in it. It knows if it's moving or not. That information feeds into the brain to tell it what the body is doing. Without that information, we don't have such good data on which to make movement and so mobility is important to a runner in my book because that's what makes you neurologically intact as well as a good shock absorber and a resilient human being but mobility can so loss of say range of motion in the midfoot or the ankle or uh um foot that oh, we're good a foot that has toes that don't touch the floor anymore because of changes within that, then those things will be really important. And so addressing those and getting runners to spend more time fiddling with their feet, therapists to mobilize the quarter of all the joints of the human body that lie beneath the talocrural joint. Like a lot of therapists don't go there. A lot of patients don't go there for self-conditioning. And as a runner, like I never understand it because it's the one thing that is in contact with the rest of the world and informs all these other systems. So if my ankle is sufficiently stiff, I will develop vestibular issues on that side, which are treatable through balance training because my brain stops listening because the information's junk. Right. So mobility matters. Scars matter. Funny areas that people can't stand to be touched matters. No, you can't be a resilient marathon runner and have feet that no one's allowed to touch because they're so tickly sore and sensitized. Right. That's neural sensitivity that will lead to restriction in motion within that stuff. So the foot's really, really important. And mobility within the foot is the thing that I would get most people to focus on over foot, core strength, whatever that might be. Standing on one leg is a great way to train intrinsic foot muscles, by the way. Um, 
And then um, in terms of how balance training should be, how, how, how balance should be affected. Well, strength training still comes back right around in the research and says actually kind of high load strength training, relatively heavy weights with lowish sets, particularly focusing on unsurprisingly quads, casts and glute muscles is quite an effective way to actually see some changes in balance. But the data is mixed. Strength training around the ankle doesn't actually seem to help much with balance related indexes. There's better results from training balance itself. And then as we start to understand these systems a little more, and there's some very applicable things that people can totally have a go at, anyone who thinks they're this needs to try uh, AVOR, which is an angular vestibular ocular reflex. So we can we can then go to that thing of, um, does the brain actually integrate the input? So we're giving better inputs when we practice standing on one leg. But if the brain's not listening on one side, then it's kind of, uh, it's not as useful as it might be. So... Can you ping me down to, um, yeah, the one that's the angular vestibular ocular reflex. I can't read this. It's like three yeah, slides. that Jean's dream to do this one, yeah? No, next one. Yeah. That one? Next one? Next one. Hold on. Let's do this one. So this little star, right, we have this on the clinic wall because we use it so much as part of um, our logo, right? Um, and this is um, a, a very big part of how the inner ears and the eyeballs um, coordinate with each other. And it's our angular, angular vestibular ocular reflex. So it's about the semicircular canals because they sense motion of the head in an angular um, 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 sense. So it's easy to think of this as like the scary doll reflex, right? So your eyes stay still and your head moves around. We use it every single day to say both yes and no to other human beings. So if you look at somebody and nod your head for yes or shake your head for no, you are using your vestibular, your, um, um, vestibular ocular reflex in order to maintain steady gaze with head movement. And what's actually happening is the inner ear is telling the um, eyeball exactly how fast it's traveling and therefore how hard to contract the eyeball muscle to counter the motion of the head. It's really cool. Like, it, I just can't express how co how cool this system is, um, and how um, universal it is um, to um, movement because everything involves the brain starting by answering this question of where am I in space? Where's the body? Where's the head? Is it in motion? Um, so we have this this reflex, um, and it's what keeps our vision steady in motion. So runners, does the world jump up and down when you're running? And most people laugh and say no, and a few people go. Uh-huh. So those that say, uh-huh, this system is definitely broken. If you choose the way you run in order to maintain being able to see where you're going, then you need to do some work around this system. But this is one of those things that it's fair to say all humans should be able to do. If you have normal function of your inner ears, none of this will be hard, right? So what you want to do, people, is grab that chart, make it as big as you can. So zoom in on that image to get it up to full screen or just imagine it in front of you, because all you're actually going to do is move your head on those lines. So remember what those lines look like. Cut and paste it, whatever you like, screenshot it right now. Look at me. So our um, um, AVOR reflex is this. Just get myself in the middle, right? It's kind of weird doing it into camera. Um, but I pick a target and I look at myself, my great big massive nose. That's what I'm going to look at, right? And then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And the rule of the game is my, my head has to make the intended motion, not something a bit like it, 
or a bit off it and, and unrepeatable, it's got to make the same motion over and over again. And it's got to make it quite quickly. Quick enough that if we go too fast, we'll induce visual skew, so we'll lose the image as we move, or hmm, your eyeballs fly off the target, right? So errors are people who just can't move their head fast and can't make the intended motion. So side to side is that. Give it a go. You're going to try and move fast on the way out and slow on the way back. And you're going to try and keep, if you're looking at any kind of um, um, mirror or um, selfie mode, um, then you're going to try and keep both ears in the uh, um, on the horizontal plane and the eyes the same, right? So for left to right, it is literally just pure cervical rotation with eyes fixed forward. And you'd be amazed how many people uh, predict as you like. They've reported pain all down this side. They do this and they go, oh, that's really weird. I just can't go fast in that direction. And it's because the brain has no choice under those circumstances, but to essentially listen to a single canal and make its calculations based on that. So what, it, what when we see head slow head movement or eyes that just won't stay where we put them or heads that bobble on that line, and I'm just doing east and west there, but we've got north and south. And then we've got these diagonal lines. I've got to not look at myself while I do this. So it puts me right off. Right? This is up and back as if you're trying to flick your hair out of one eye because I'm worth it. Right? That's <laughs> a way for that. Wait, where'd you get to the other one? It's a bit more aggressive. Right? So we, we flick our hair and then we want to be able to stimulate the anterior canal, which senses flexion on one side of the head. Right? So the motion is like this. So what you've got to imagine is there's somebody right in front of you. And you're going to give them a Glaswegian kiss, as it's called where I grew up. You're going to headbutt them with one eyebrow, right? So it's a one-sided eyebrow headbutt. Forward ones must induce flexion and backwards ones must induce extension. You'll see lots of people who squirm and cheat around. And anybody who's just trying this, you'll find you've got some strategy where you can kind of make it look a bit like it. So um, if I have a dodgy posterior canal, I do, by the way, then doing this will feel quite hard. And what people often do is just kind of stick their head over to one side and do something that's a bit like it, but it's not really going through that motion. And then it has to be quick because if we do it slowly, we can manage it with proprioception from our neck. In order to pull it off quickly, it has to be our inner ear. Nothing else is quick enough in order to process that information. So, what we can use this for is like a neural booster, right? So when you find a dodgy line, you're probably, not always, but you're probably looking at something that will help. So you stand on your leg and you do it at your um, limit, right? So say that standing on one leg and closing your eyes. And then you would practice this high quality head motion, eyes staying straight forward. And we do that in 30, 60 second bursts and then retest the thing we're actually after, which is better functional balance to stand on one leg or to stand on our tiptoes or to stand in um, stride stance whilst looking at the ceiling. And um, whatever balance issue you've kind of picked up, it should be a little better if you stimulate the right one of this. And it's usually the one you find hardest. If it's not the one you find hardest, it's usually the mirror opposite. Um, um, just as a little um, tip for anybody who's trying it. And this system is, it does so many things, right? Because it's sensing this angular motion, but it's also keeping us stood upright while we're doing it. And I'm standing right now while I'm chatting to you and doing these. And so a lot of people will find more than one of these lines quite difficult to make with their head. 
And the simplest way to kind of get to better information there, branding and they're, they're broken all over, right? That's usually not the case. If they sit down and retest, they'll often find their speed of head motion on several lines becomes much better and one stays sticky. Um, and um, as a clinician, sometimes I, I watch people do this and I think you're so bad at all of it right now, I just can't choose, right? And so if you do this and that's what you get, is nothing's fast, your vision doesn't do what you're told and none of the head movements work, we go back a level and that's just yes, yes and no, no, right? So um, a lot of people are able to tell you that they find this or this a little trickier and literally practicing this or this. And then if you're getting super fancy, we could practice this, just a left side flexor. I'm just so there's, it's just up and down for yes, while the eyes stay straight forward and side to side for no, while the eyes stay, stay, stay still. Um, and then we could do that just to one side. But that in a nutshell, is what I will use to help a lot of runners understand what's been going on for years in their body. Because when they do this, they can start to make sense of a lot of things. Because most people who have an issue like this know quite a lot of therapists. And they might like them and they might have good relationships with them, but they're not getting to the bottom of it and they continue to hurt when they run. And just on that, throwing one point back into that list of things that when when we're looking for people with a balance issue is I literally only hurt when I'm running or after I've run. Like I never feel it any other time at all. There are other things that could be. But that is quite often something that relates in some way, shape or form to balance. So these head movement drills are by no means the limits of vestibular therapy. And they are um, something that you can test yourself. I'm telling you this now so you can have a crack on yourself, right? If you choose to trial this with some patients and see if you can come up with anything upon your own head, be it, right? I'm not a neurologist. I don't make brain diagnoses. I don't tell people that they have a left inner ear problem in the se- in the middle canal, right? We, I might think that, but what I'll say is I think practicing this little head flick might really help your brain to know better where you are on that side and we might find that really useful so that the mobility work and the strength training you've been doing pay better dividends because remember this is the little rudder on the big ship so people have been driving for years through sport with the handbrake on because if you slam a rudder hard enough in a boat it's a break right so there's a break on people and i stretch my hamstrings every day and they're still really tight right you're thinking straight away that it's not their hamstrings. Um, um, And um, if we work a lot on, say, our ankle dorsiflexion and it just never comes, then um, um, it might be that we need to deal with the balance issue on that side. And then suddenly that mobility work starts to work like it does on the normal humans, the non-wobbly ones. Okay, so there's so much in there. And and now people have sat down and stopped um, kind of testing their diagonal movements and up and down give an example of for example one the symptom that someone might have had two what you discovered when they were doing that test of movement and then three what how how it improved like how that symptom went what could be connected what could be connected what types of problems are limited to being assessed by this is anything that's not acute really Really, honestly, like if you have limped because you sprained your ankle badly or you had an ACL reconstruction and you walked and your head went like this Mm. 
for more than six weeks. In that time, there was probably neuroplastic change within your brain to stop listening to one side and start listening to the other side. Yeah. Reasonable. If it never gets corrected, it never gets corrected. Exactly, it relies yeah. on quite specific inputs to force the redundancy out of the system. The brain's too good at adapting, but all it really wants to do is to survive till sunset. So it's never in its interest to, as it were, repair this during sleep like it would do a tear in a muscle. So how many runners do you see? You, you obviously see a lot of runners, but how many, what sort of percentage do you end up doing these, these sort of tests with? Um, of those suffering from more that, that, uh, that aren't in a healing process, right? So if you have a, a history of more than a year of dodgy bits on one side of your body, then I'm assessing this. And right. patient, people, therapists are always cursed. They go, really? You get everyone to stand there and flick their head around? It's like, yeah, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. I just say, look at that and go like this. People go, oh, I'm interested. I'll give that a go. And then the moment they can't do it, they're in, right? They're like, yeah, yeah. what's that? Why do my eyes go over there, but I can do it that way? And they'll literally, I'll be like, right, you can stop now. Put your shoes on. You're 10 minutes over. And they're like, no, I'm going to get this. Hang on. Like, there's something about it where we just can connect to the right patient through the process of assessment. That they sort of have an innate understanding that they're a bit different and that they do, yeah, like often, you know, get underwhelming results from both their conditioning work and the therapies that they pay for. Because ultimately, like what's wrong with them isn't being addressed. And for most patients, I'm the first person to ever assess anything to do with their vestibular system. And any patient who picks this up, any therapist who picks this up and goes with it, the same will be true for you. Right. So it's not everyone. There are no panaceas, but the limits are if it's got if it's a pain that has something to do with movement then this might be involved. Right. Let me have a little scroll. I think in everything you've said, we've answered quite a lot of the questions in here. Um, I'm just going to check. You said so, what would it look like when someone failed this test, right? Yeah. And like basically what we're looking for is sharp, quick head movements. And so fail, failed would be one that's just really slow. So they just move their head slowly. They have a deviation from their intended motion that they either are or aren't aware of. But you as the therapist watching either from in front or behind should be able to see that. And on diagonals, you'll often see these kind of um, scoop type strategies where people go out a bit and then back a bit, but they won't actually go straight back. Is it bit. something that can improve once they try it kind of five or six times or will it stay it there? Is that another sign? It needs to be recalibrated through practice. And that's literally the beauty of the vestibular system. Is you okay. can take somebody who had concussion 20 years ago, show them this. They come back in the week and they go, check this out. I'm really good now. Like it really is like that. It's like it, how long does it take your brain to learn a tune, right? That's probably how long it takes. They don't require a lot of um, uh, um, tissue changes, right? We're not waiting for muscles to get bigger or bones to get thicker, right? So this is um, virgin territory. It is the untapped mm. system. It is, um, And that's where I get a lot of luck with it because people. the other thing that makes me want to try this is they've tried other stuff and it hasn't worked. Mm. They go, look, I've legitimately done the Achilles tendon rehab and it's just no better, right? I'm interested. Let's talk about it. 
And so those kind of have faith in your fellow practitioners. Don't assume that people just are unable to teach a basic exercise. Mm -hmm. Like, and if if patients have genuinely done that, then that's a a strong indication that we need to try this. If therapists are doing these tests with people, how much is there like unconscious incompetence? Then they practice it and then they've got kind of conscious competence. Is it kind of something where you'll see them working and they'll go home, wake up in the morning and not be able to do it again? Is it kind of any habit change where they need to practice a little bit for it to happen without thinking about it or? different people like and this is this kind of um, directly goes into all our introception right our vestibular system is purely introception it doesn't involve the outside world in any shape or form mm. so it's processed in the insular along with a lot of emotional things so you see emotional responses to this stuff like it sounds like i'm nuts but like i've had patients who have done this got better from a neck range of motion point of view for example mm. if that's what we've been working on gone and sat aside in the car and kind of sobbed uncontrollably for 20 minutes like like big mm. kind of just like weird stuff some people go to sleep really quickly after trying this for the first time because their system is genuinely exhausted because this mm. is taking up a lot of like you're, you're you're using your neurons to make new connections essentially so you're kind mm-hmm. of forcing kind of um, something into the system in terms of plasticity and um, Right. Let me have a little down here because we were nine o'clock already. So Chris Sutton mentioned this all sounds very familiar going back to when you're describing that kind of list of six or seven yeah. things where Alan's could be an issue. He said, I'm out and training, having problems down my left side, tight QL, upper traps, flicking over quads, having ruptured my right Achilles in March 19. Heavy, sing- heavy single leg strength training certainly helps, but still overcompensating on my left side, which causes issues, work in progress. We've got some more work to do now, Chris. If, if, a whole if, bunch if, of if the insult of the vestibular system is the casting rather than the injury, then it could be either side, depending on how you choose to get around the fact that one leg doesn't move proper and is a different length to the other one. So it is funny that some people do break one leg and then afterwards they've broken the vestibular system on the other side, probably through gait and locomotion, which is a massive stimulator to this system. Um, and yeah, in terms of very practical rehabilitation for runners who think they might have a balance problem, walk properly. Like we massively undervalue walking. Walking is what we're for. It's our neurological like takeover state and runners are snobbish about it. Right. And they don't walk for leisure or pleasure. And most humans don't ever walk in top gear. And I think that's marvelous stimulation of this system, particularly if you do it outdoors where you can see a long way. Right. So we want to be triggering all those lateral saccade systems that are known to get going when we start moving around in open spaces. And so taking exercise and training in, in, in environments where we can see into the distance and, and outdoors is, is, is a fantastic way to stimulate, stimulate the vestibular system. And then talking to some runners who are addicted to runners, to running, um, not addicted to runners, that would be weird. Um, addicted to running and therapists who treat patients that are maybe some of them have learned to feed their own system through running which is a massive vestibular top up and it lasts for a bit but like you're asking about the exercises it fades away and so they need to go again to feel like they've got the system up and running and so um like runners who feel great the evening that they run people who say they're pain-free when they're in motion and the rest of the time they ache people who get really bad sat down in for long periods of time there's probably some kind of vestibular dysfunction there that's often kind of corrected by the other two systems because if we think of it that way then that's always what's happening and that's why things get really weird and confusing and somebody walks in with a chronic ankle inversion and the first thing we look at is their inner ear because just they've had it so long it's got to be up there as well as down there whereas something that happened yesterday won't have had any major effects on this so 
But like, yeah, like, I mean, you know, I, you say I treat runners. I, I mean, Cornwall, I treat a lot of surfers as well. Almost in depth, I have um, extension-based neck issues from all that weird time on the board in the paddle. Mm-hmm. Right, and so they think they've got one dodgy shoulder, but almost all of them, again, on the side that they get a chronic rotator cuff problem, will have a slow head movement in the um, um, either horizontal or an upward direction. So, um, like, it is one of those ones where you have to say, look, is there evidence behind this? Can I point to systematic reviews that point to an association between? Um, I say, what? So, what? What I don't diagnose is. Um, peripheral vestibular hypofunction like that's the technical term for everybody it's a bit like non-specific low back pain it means you're a bit wobbly but you're not that broken and we don't really know how to fix you so um, I see patients whose primary problem is dizziness um, because of an interest in this stuff and um, um, some runners have got those histories and then some runners are runners because their balance system isn't good enough to do other stuff and that sounds like an insult and it's not but if you can run and catch and jump and throw, then you often get dragged into those spots. And if you have a system that just sucks at all that stuff, you often end up going, I can run. And, and you can. But that's why I think we see quite a lot of balance problems in runners is because their balance problems forces them to be a runner because it doesn't allow them to have amazing peripheral vision during motion and hand-eye coordination and multi-change direction so i don't interesting that that could be totally wrong right but it's a it's an observation and i think i see them who really fit that clinically okay so um trevor frost i think you've had your if you suspect someone has balance issues how do you test well we've been to all of that so hopefully that's answered a lot of your questions Catherine spencer i'm curious i'm curious what page you're on now Catherine spencer says hi newbie therapist but club running coach i'm writing my third page of notes already that was 8 24 she was on page three so Catherine, come back and let me know what page you're on now yeah, I, people I, who i mean yeah, that's a good point overwhelm new people um <sighs> I know why people stick to the body, but that's most therapists like who think I sound weird talking about this stuff. You're stuck in the body. Like the brain is in control of everything. And when people hurt and don't move nice, like if they do that for a long time, they have problems up top as well as problems down. And if we just decide we're a neck down therapist, I think the next 10 to 20 years of um, clinical progression will 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 leave that behind to an extent. I think the stuff that we've talked about this evening will become more commonplace. You look at concussion protocols and it's all this stuff. And a lot um, of people- Stephen Waterson says, I'm a runner. I get terrible motion sickness. We haven't got time now to go too far into it, but could motion sickness be a sign of a... Yeah. Motion sickness, you snatch your, um, your, 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 your traveling fast and your vestibular system knows that. It should dumb down to, acceler- to linear acceleration. So you can feel takeoff on an airplane, but you can't feel traveling at 600 miles an hour, um, except some people kind of can on a background level. And then for some reason that nobody's quite sure of, whenever your vestib- vestibular system feels particularly distressed, nausea tends to be the associated symptom. But yeah, people who can't read in a car, people who can't sit backwards in a train, people who have a preference to sit on one side of the tube or bus or the other like that's because one side works and one side doesn't and that's the hallmark of this therapists if you ever see somebody who seems to demonstrate by totally bilateral peripheral signs send them to a doctor it's probably their brain and it's important as we get people kind of interested in this they know that that like some people will display balance and dizziness problems as the first presenting problem and so we need to be aware of some of those kind of neurological hard signs as well and but completely bilateral like this is as hard as that 
um, and um, uh, um, those kind of um, yeah, just any a, a total lack of any left right difference in the stuff we've discussed um, is definitely worth a medical neck up checkup. Right. The next kind of twenty questions are are basically on. Oh my god, I need more information. How can I catch up? I've got to watch it back. I was trying to treat a patient, and I was listening to this. And and <laughs> where can people get more information on this? Because you're not. I mean, it sounds like really you need. To, we now we now need to go. Want to see Paul Kirk alive? Bam! But it's not happening at the moment. But is it well, something which you're I mean, planning I've been on doing? Building this new clinic, right? And like it's yeah. clearly done, as it were. And then, so then we will get back to some educational stuff because yeah, I'm still developing in this field. I spent the first, I'd say, 15 years um, of my career basically ignoring the brain. It was tape that got me here, right? Like. Mm. Like tape shouldn't work according to your biomechanical model for those that just know anatomy coloring in and what muscles underneath there when you poke it, that must have a trigger point. I'll release that. You'll feel better. And again, I'm not relating anybody's education. Any. We all start with something. But like um, um, we need to get that 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 kind of progression on past that point. Um, and tape was a real kind of um, beginning for me of kind of tracking back up through the peripheral nervous system to kind of understand how it was having a neurological effect. Like I left rock tape and, and for a variety of reasons, family being one of the most important ones. Um, and, and it's uh, um, one of the I still use it. Not quite as much as I did when, you know, like there is that kind of unlimited supply. But I completely I would never have got involved if I wasn't clinically interested. And it's that that's passed on to so many other things in terms of neurology in the brain. So, yeah, it's all down to a roll of pink tape. It wasn't even a roll of rock tape. So maybe in a I don't know, once COVID becomes... yeah, there, I will threatening. We're going to have a bus trip down to Cornwall, are we? Well, so this is this is one thing I, I'm interested in, right? And anybody can hit me up on social media. And um, my clinics move Cornwall, um, and um, myself is Paul the physio, and um, with weird underscores between words that was the sort of thing as somebody in the late thirties doesn't really understand social media would do. Um, I was then. I'm not even now. Um, anyway, they like um, so like small group intensive, right? Like, what if I don't travel and we have small groups of people who make it to the southwest of England for a few days of education? But it's not a standalone event. We do it. We do it again in three months' time, and we maybe sort of space that out over half a year or so. And um, so, like, um, if there is um, like teaching big groups is hard. You know this, Matt. Like, Rock Tape is amazing. It's a brilliant company. It's educational model. Um, I was proud of um, as, as, as I left. Um, uh, um, but, like, one-day courses are one-day courses. You only learn so much. And when we want to delve into this world and really convert people from that, yeah, I treat the body thing into I want to know more. It's going to take more than a podcast. Um, and it's going to take more than a weekend course. So, yeah. like well, we'll I definitely have to organize a trip down to you. It'd be lovely to see that part of the world again anyway. Yeah, um, Daryl says great stuff. Other slides going to be available to view. I'll chat with you how much information they are slides from presentations, but you can do what you like with them. People can have oh, okay. Their... In that case, there you go. I will make yeah. them uh, available to view. There you go, Daryl. Yeah, one uh, day Denise day. says uh, she's going to watch on catch up. Um, Denise says the close cropped beard looks fab. Are you talking about me or Paul there? Because we're both. Well, I just, no, it can't be me. I, I like you. Yeah, no, you're better without it. Thanks, mate. That's really nice of you to say. Uh, and thanks, Denise. I'll take it. It's me. Um, Lisa Reynolds says, very interesting. Hi, Lisa. How are you doing? Um, just been looking at the research. Yeah, there is. I mean, I was looking at the research when you were coming on, because that's the other thing I love about Paul is he does look at the research <laughs> and he actually reads it, not just yeah, the abstracts. You are kind of like, you know, so um, 
we'll make sure on the show notes as well i'll make sure paul sends me some links and we'll put yeah, some recent I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot out there there's, there's nothing overwhelming and blowing away but you know if anybody is out there if anybody is um, on social media and isn't following following greg layman like he was talking about just this week you know he's saying sort of i'm kind on people who still want to use a tens machine and a bit of soft tissue therapy because there's not a lot of evidence for the things that he prefers right like and who is sitting there and doing interventions and this is sort of thing that like i'm an interventionist right i'm a tinker I'm, i tinker in life like i take skateboards to pieces to put them back together again for no particular reason and, and sort of my my clinical um um approach as a, a has that sort of i want to get in there and do something i can't just stand there and do nothing and um yeah you know you leap from one thing to another and wherever you look you find a positive of evidence to really justify what you're doing but um that's true of everything everything therapist do other than you to get up and maybe take a walk a couple of times a week you know like Catherine's on page five uh podcasting writers cramp next please fine sorry about that Catherine. but you know the great thing about this is we record it you can watch it again i should have mentioned that at the beginning it's not going to be a test after this sta gary gary asks is paul going to therapy expo Are you at therapy expo it may be um somebody did email me about that and i answered vaguely in the affirmative but that was you know months ago and now it's nearly here so um i'll see i haven't left cornwall very much so you know i don't know if my um if they'll let me out i might have to bribe them with pasties rona hamilton is that a name uh, or rather rona hamilton says hi paul you, you, you don't pronounce the gaelic h's yeah to watch um yeah one of the few people from my class that's made anything of themselves oh, they, <laughs> that's two of you then um yeah nice to hear you, she says rona says so enthusiastic he is enthusiastic isn't he <laughs> and then carol brown concludes and we have to draw it here because it is 9 15 this no has been an amazing chat fantastic powerpoints to use so so Paul has given me permission to share these slides, which I will do. Right, nine fifteen. Once again, you've left us kind of like part three, um, which we'll do it? next year. Yeah, no, next year, twenty twenty two, August. Exactly. We'll get back again. Um, you've already um, said. You know, it'd be lovely to hear if anybody's tried this stuff. Um, um, uh, 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 and um, well, we didn't really dig into it, but um, the, the, the head, head flicking. And um, basically, you can use it as a pain treatment. So you can look at somebody's shoulder range of motion, given that to do the drill. Doesn't just work for balance; it will work for a lot of um, longer-standing pain conditions as well. So, um, fa always fascinating to hear other clinic uh, clinicians like first dibs at this. My first dib at this was um, a really weird sort of situation, and it worked fantastically on me. But I know that's biases me towards it. It's because like I, I i'm a bit funny on a balance point of view so it, it biases me towards training it we are all biases as, as, as therapists and as humans we just have to be alive to that and you know this isn't everyone but it is a lot of people and they don't have to have dizziness to make you think of using these types of exercises or approaching balance um as a, a part of the, the treatment brilliant okay so much there I'm, again we'll have to watch it back and um, i'll make i'll put a really extensive show notes in this people so if you're interested in those make sure you do go to the sta.co.uk where all these videos and podcast links are and i'll make sure on the show notes we've got a lot of information on this because i know there's so much information there which people are going to be interested in um right to any like new proper neurologists watching who are going to pick me up on all my errant um neuroanatomy <laughs> and you don't really know what you're talking about like like any of these things, I, I like to know a little bit about a lot of things. And I think balance is probably goes in that category. But I, I guess as a physio, I know a lot more about it than a lot of my colleagues. And I think about it and address it a lot. With, with some fantastic but you don't set yourself up for falling, Paul, because everything you say, and I don't know whether you do it intentionally or whether you think about it in the voice in your head, but you don't 
fully commit to black and white ever you're always very quick to say it's not we everybody but it's a lot of people and you say when there's research you say when there's not and that's why we love you it's history middle of the road is a bad place to be right like um, well not always yeah always you don't want to be there but you move where the evidence takes you or doesn't take you there's that bit of balance within it and this is this is a really legitimate tool that people can very easily bolt on to what they already do as therapists and that's what i found so delightful about is it just makes other stuff you're doing make more sense work better um so yeah it's not not like we have to like fully convert and go all weird and um, he helps madman they do all sorts of crazy stuff they'll um um yeah we didn't talk about it like uh, <laughs> some of my best successes for runners with um, long-term balance issues actually using aftershock earphones to play vibration directly at the inner ear to stimulate it while they're running and some oh, of wow oh god I don't open that up kind of well yeah, that'd be amazing sort of, um, right um, Right, next time to love and leave people yeah i yeah. know that's a that's, that's something the about. most passive of treatments of all man it's amazing you just vibrate your head and it fixes stuff no exercises required. next week the man who's got some very big shoes to fill after this gold mine of information is going to be jamie johnston's back um from victoria um canada um, and we're going to be talking about something just kind of linked to this it's all about um helping uh, patients and clients incorporate more movement. We're talking about the fear avoidance model, which is something Jamie Johnson you'll know already. Um, he was speaking to us before um, and he'll be back next Tuesday. Um, once he's listened to this, he's going to be shaking his boots because I don't think anyone has managed to fit in so much information in an hour and 10 minutes. So I must once again, Claudia, up there. My, my massage therapist, I promised I'd talk slowly tonight so that she did happen. And I don't think I achieved no. that in my list of aims. No, 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 not even close, mate. Not even close. Right. Thanks, people. Um, thanks for joining us. Those of you who joined us live, it was really nice to see the numbers come up again. It was a bit slow in August, but that's understandable. But for this particular episode, I know it was Paul. Or when it's still hot outside, the numbers came up live. And that's brilliant because we do love people joining us live. It's great to network. It's great to five questions live so thank you very much for taking the time out of evening to join us if you do want to join us live next time then again it's always eight o'clock bst but well eight o'clock uk time whatever uk time might be um so come and join us next week when we talk to jamie johnston paul thanks again mate stick around i'll say thank you to you but for now i'm going to sign people out here take care people and we'll see you next tuesday hopefully you're listening to the sports therapy association podcast let's talk about it.